And now, coming to you live from our coast-to-coast trading desk, this is the Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast filmed in front of the live Discord audience where we talk about all things the economy, the stock market, and the various market forces affecting the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Star Northrop, bringing you this time a really, really just stacked show. We've had a wild, volatile week, a lot of ups and downs, mostly ups, followed by a brief down today. Um, a lot of really great tech earnings we missed, a lot of amazing, interesting news coming out of Facebook as they kind of face the reverberations of the Apple privacy situation. And then, you know, how what's going on with volatility in general? What's going on with energy stocks? What's going on with things like DraftKings? Like, is it still dip season? What is going on here? Lots of stuff to cover in the next half hour, folks. So I'm just jumping right into it. As always, helping me cover that, joined today by Justin Kramer, Chief, An- Chief Analyst, CEO, co-founder here at Moby.co. Justin Kramer, dude, hell of a week, man. What's going on? How, how are you holding on in this very volatile situation? Yeah, I mean, every week seems to be crazier than the next. The week before I was down, this week's up. This And then today is another down day. Um, and we'll, we'll see what tomorrow brings us. But, I mean, the the volatile times are, are not ending anytime soon. It's It's been entertaining, to say the least, although obviously certain portions of the portfolio are hurting. But it's just uh, it's, it's just part, honestly, for the course. Exactly. It just adds drama to everything, too. It's one of those things where you are consistently trying to add to your positions over time, as opposed to thinking, oh, the market's down, I'm doomed. No, 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 no. You are, if you are thinking you're doomed because the market is down now, your time horizon is all out of whack, my dude. And so we, that's the whole point of conversations like this audience is to help give you the confidence to maintain your sort of monthly investing cadence, make sure you're adding the right positions to your portfolio, at the, not necessarily at the right time, but make sure you have that perspective. But let's get into the market news, Justin. Um, I guess the main thing is like market is down today but the contagion that kicked it off was this absolutely massive facebook earnings call yesterday evening when they essentially announced hey we're gonna be missing out on 10 billion in revenue for a bit here our users are down our active users are down everything's kind of down and so it is the single largest day drop in value for any company um, i don't think in, i don't know if in history but that's the, one of the headlines i saw 237 billion dollars of value gone absolutely just nuts just thinking about the number of companies like thinking about like if uh how many companies just got wiped out if you wiped out 200 billion dollars of value what is going on with facebook justin is this is this going to keep happening as they you know kind of face losing out on all of the advertising revenue from uh, being able to track people on ios and uh, all of that or is there something deeper going on here like what are people missing when they think about sort of the facebook conversation yeah i mean we we did call this out back in October. Um, I mean, what, first off, Facebook has 40% of the of humans on earth using their platform. To continue growing 10, 20% when you have billions of people using your product is literally impossible. So growth was inevitably going to stall, but what's really changed right now is this is the first time in 18 years that they've actually had no growth. Users have more or less stayed exactly the same and they're losing a lot of users to other platforms like TikTok. Pair that with real issues on the advertising side, which is how they completely monetize their platform. And honestly, it's, it's kind of scary what we're seeing right now. I mean, again, we called this out back in October that this was a possibility. And now it's really starting to play out. I, I'm, I would be nervous for the company going forward. They obviously have more data and more technology than 99% of the other companies out there. So it's not like they're going to go to zero tomorrow. But we be, we might be watching as we speak, like the actual peak of Facebook. Peak Facebook, dude, which is insane. There's so much to unpack there too when you think about all of those all those factors there. I also just want to like quickly 
not gloat, but just also point out that not only do we point this out on the anal- analysis side on over at Moby.co in October, we also pointed this out every single day when we went live on TikTok. If you don't know, audience, in addition to this interview I do with Justin every week here on Discord, I'm also going live, sort of giving my unfiltered thoughts, not as intelligent as talking to Justin, just like, you know, talking about the market every day over on TikTok. It's been going pretty well, and every single day I've been like, uh, Facebook's going to be the contagion. Facebook is you know, not ex- that Facebook earnings call is going to be a disaster, and I love being right. But what's more amazing about that is something you pointed out on Twitter, Justin, where their users are going down um, while TikTok's you know usership and also creatorship on TikTok is skyrocketing. Despite the fact that if you look at the numbers, uh, it's really awful being a creator on TikTok. Like uh, TikTok is the most insane and wild virality platform known to humankind, but you get paid. Uh, what is it, 10 cents on the dollar that you would get paid if you're on Facebook being monetized by fa- Facebook's various monetization efforts, right? Um, so despite the fact that, like, if you are a creator, you're you're having a much better, like, quality of life experience posting to Instagram, posting to the core Facebook uh, platform, considering you're making roughly 10x what a TikTok creator is. Um, and it's kind of comparable to YouTube, too, though, as a YouTube creator, you make a little bit more than even Facebook. It's amazing that TikTok is seeing this kind of growth. TikTok obviously isn't a publicly traded company here in America, right? I don't think someone call me out on that. But the main thing is, is thinking about, sure, TikTok has this insane growth, but unless they start really serving their creators, it's going to be a really interesting sort of dichotomy here. Getting beyond that, where are all these users going? They're going to TikTok. Kind of looks like they're also going to Snapchat too. Here's the shock of the quarter for me, Justin. TikTok stock has popped 57% today off of a brilliant earnings call where they finally, you know, on a net adjusted basis, had a profitable quarter. Their earnings per share was up 22 cents versus 10 cents expected. The revenue for uh, last quarter is $1.3 billion versus uh, what the people expected less than a billion. Their active users are growing massively. They had three, they had 319 million users as opposed to about 300. And their average revenue per user is actually up to about $4. So uh, even though Snapchat is facing the exact same market forces that Facebook is, they are thriving. And they are a much, much, uh, what, am I, what am I trying to say here, a stable metaverse play than Facebook. If you look, if you look at like all of the... Like, like ups and downs that Snapchat has had. I know I'm just hitting you with these numbers right now, Justin. But looking at this, like, um, it, it, like if we hit peak Facebook, could we see a really, really sick growth run for Snap moving forward? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely possible. Ultimately, Snapchat is going to arrive at a lot of the similar issues that Facebook is, which is around privacy regulations, um, Apple's like non-tracking. Um, new kind of software that they rolled out last year with iOS 14 and a half. So, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, like if they're growing, that's great, but they don't have the scale that Facebook has and they don't have the technology, nearly the same technology. Um, and they're, they're battling the same headwinds. So, I mean, in the short term, I'm not surprised that advertisers are leaving, going to Snapchats, going towards other mediums, especially with a lot of the younger generation using Snapchat in addition to TikTok. So I think a lot of it's like kind of chasing where the users are going, whereas like Instagram is, kind of what's keeping them up front on the social media front for Facebook. Um, but from a advertising attribution um, and targeting perspective, they're going to be running into the same issues. So maybe in the short term over the next year, it's a good play. But in the long run, I think Snapchat's going to continue kind of facing a lot of the same difficulties. 
Yeah, if anything, this is just the market being like, well, I just took all this money out of Facebook. I got to put it somewhere. It might be like these two factors playing off of each other, right? Like negative. A lot of people see the market as a zero sum game. And so a lot of sometimes market sentiment means I pull money out of Facebook. I put it into a Facebook air quotes competitor. And you can make kind of an argument why Snap is a much stronger metaverse play than Facebook, despite the fact that Snapchat hasn't made any kind of concerted, um, what is it called, announcements around their plans for AR in the metaverse. They just, you know, are the kind of the OGs in the AI in the augmented reality space and therefore have a bit of an advantage there but it's gonna be really interesting to see exactly what they do with that advantage and if they kind of make it make a metaverse play unless the whole metaverse issue is just a head fake like just to keep uh, Facebook stock value up at peak Facebook before things go away either way I don't want to I don't want to live in Mark Zuckerberg's head the entire podcast here Justin so let's pull our focus back real fast let's get back to the market itself and let's just kind of talk about what we what we've seen um, across all of January we had uh, three out of four down weeks then last week the last week of January uh, Apple single-handedly saved the world and kind of brought us back to growth that growth cycle continued until today when Facebook kind of ended it right and so when we're thinking about this like uh, when I look at this volatility what am I seeing here is this just like what happens every earnings season or is this earnings season kind of amplified just just because of like all the uncertainty about um, the Fed and not uncertainty but all the worries about what inflation means what raising rates means what the asset purchasing program ending means like can you take me through that like how do we look at this volatility right now and like how am I, how should I think about it shaking out is there any specific pattern we should be looking for as we try to understand exactly what's happening with dip season? Yeah, I wouldn't look too much into individual names on why they're popping or they're falling. Obviously, like there's exceptions, Facebook, Snapchat, a lot of them being kind of the exceptions. But net overall, the sectors are moving like kind of in line with each other. Like if tech's going one way, most tech stocks will follow, um, except, ex except for like kind of like the market leaders, which you see Facebook deviating from Google and Snapchat and some of these others. But at a sector level, which is how like you should be looking at it, it's, you know, the day to day volatility is is more than expected. Fed's raising rates, cutting back stimulus, investors are getting scared, they're flying to safe money. I mean, these are just themes that aren't going away. Like there's a reason energy is the number one performing sector over the last 52 weeks, which I don't think most people realize. It's up 75% in the last 52 weeks. And the next closest is financials at 33%. Like that's just not even close. And the rest of the sectors are falling way far behind. Healthcare at number three, and then so on and so forth. So people are looking for and they look at Snapchat, it's like, oh, it's up huge today. Facebook is down, like tech is still would make money. But what no one's talking about is that energy and some of these historically, quote unquote, boring companies are far outpacing everything. They're beating crypto, they're beating tech, they're beating everything. And I don't think that's going to be a case forever. Like I'm not a long-term believer in, in oil companies and even for that matter, financial companies. But in the short term, in the current environment, these are companies that are going out to perform. We've been saying it every single week for the last several months. I, I mean, I hope you've been paying attention. It's it's not rocket science. It's just like, this is how the market reacts when the Fed takes certain rates. It just hasn't been done in a decade. So most newer investors just don't even know it's coming. And, and exactly. And I think one thing you mentioned a lot, too, was a um, uh, you, we had a lot of we had a good analysis last week. Can you kind of take us through sort of the major energy players right now? Like, obviously, we love Phillips. Who else is kind of like a really strong play right now? Like, take me through the analysis you've done in terms of like the best performers in like this really strong energy environment. Yeah. So in the short term, like Phillips, definitely they're up over 100 percent in the last year, which is insane. Uh, Exxon Mobil, a company that I never thought what I would hear come out of my own mouth is up over 120% in the last year. If you look at it, and we put an analysis out on this on our website very recently, 
the price of oil and gas relative to the stock price performance is basically exactly in line. So if you're betting on these companies, you're betting on oil prices to go up. Um, from what we've seen so far, they can continue going up, um, even in, if inflation dips because the demand for oil is so high. So we think it'll continue running. On top of that, the other companies we're looking at is Shell. They're going taking more of a green energy stance, which we like over the longer term. And then even something more risky that probably won't perform well in the short term, but will do really well in the long term is companies that are looking towards clean energy. Plug Power, something we've been talking about for the last few years. They're moving towards hydrogen-based energy. It might seem like hype, especially to a lot of like newer retail investors, but these are energy companies we like over the short, medium, and kind of long term. And Plug Power is a really exciting one because they're getting really close to that point where their hydrogen is cheaper than propane for um for forklifts. Not like fully cheaper, but like the fact that they can take care take advantage of credits. They're getting really close to the price point they need to be. So Plug Power is one I'm watching a lot too, so much that I made an actual whole YouTube video about that. You can check that over out. Check that out over at uh, um, youtubecom slash uh, invest Right? Um, to, how about how about Valero though, Justin? I feel like um that's one we've been kind of new in our focus this week. And as we think about other petrochemical companies, how's Valero doing? And like, how, how do they kind of figure into your whole analysis about the energy market? Yeah, I mean, Valero is definitely like, um, I, I don't know if I touched upon it before, but they're another energy company we're looking at. They, they're they interesting right now relative to some of the other plays out there. With like Valero specifically, not only are they like reporting great numbers, which is kind of across the board right now, it's to be expected with energy prices going up, but like their guidance, and that's really what we're looking for is something that is going to keep like them outperforming over the next several months. So like every single like conceivable metric, like free cash flow, EBITDA, all these like boring numbers that are, <laughs> are actually important um, are expected to trend above consensus, which for newer investors, if things are beating expectations, the stock's going to do well 99% of the time. So when we see companies like them beating historically and putting out expectations that'll be higher going forward, that's just like a green light for us to go directly after them. So we think companies like them, especially with their biofuel-based business, their jet fuel-based business, are going to do really, really well in this environment. It's not going to last forever. Hope you got the last quarter or two of it as we've been continuing to invest in these companies. Um, but it's still, it's still not too late. So we still like it a lot. And that's going to be the theme moving forward, audience. What you're going to see, again, is a media and sort of like uh, the way people talk about investment just be very dramatic, very like, like it's uh, very, we're genuinely living in interesting times, right? Um, and you need to really understand that as an investor, you need to be looking for these more boring companies. Right now, boring is beautiful. The media is going to show you a bunch of shiny objects that are either head fakes or potentially things that aren't, that are going to go up and then go right back down as we sort of respond to this volatility. Finding the stocks with good fundamentals, finding these energy stocks is absolutely huge. And I think you need to really keep that in mind. Like, am I buying this stock because it's interesting or am I buying this stock because it's a good investment? Boring is beautiful, people. You need to really, especially now, more so than ever, we're back in a value market. Get get with these value plays, stay with them for a while, and you're going to have a great time. And then a quick aside, yes, all the people roasting me in DMs, I did completely butcher the pronunciation of Valero. You have to understand that I was raised in Tennessee and also Philadelphia, so I have like a very almost Southern accent that's always competing with like a regular like northeastern accent and sometimes it comes out as really really weird pronunciation so there's your kind of fun fact for the day <laughs> jumping right in though um what's gonna win today like my, tennessee or philadelphia who even knows uh in the super bowl nobody moving on justin i guess one thing our audience is also uh concerned about in the middle of roasting me in dms um is 
how this energy situation plays out with our very interesting geopolitical situation. One of the reasons that oil prices are going up is simply because uh, there's a bit of an energy crisis in Europe. Like there, there was a bunch of supply chain issues in 2020. And that energy crisis could get really exacerbated if we actually have like a straight up conflict uh, between Russia and Ukraine. And so when you look at that, is that something that's going to affect like energy prices across the board? Or is that just something that like Europe has to worry about? How do you, how do we think about this in kind of this kind of weird, uncertain geopolitical period? If, if bombs start dropping tomorrow, God forbid, I mean, I really don't think that's going to happen. I feel like, you know, Russia's posturing to prop up oil prices. But again, I'm not in the Kremlin right now. I can't tell you if that's true or not. Um, what are your thoughts there, though, Justin? Like if we if we saw like an actual armed conflict here, would that would that cause all these stocks to tank? I mean, obviously, you can't make a one to one prediction. But like, how would you think about that if something like that would actually break out? Because it's something on our minds as we think about, you know, specifically petrochemical stocks. Yeah, I mean, to say, obviously, if or not that's going to happen, obviously, I have zero clue. And no one has any clue except for, you know, Putin and a few other people. Um, so, like, obviously, from a speculation standpoint, it's impossible to say. I, I agree with you. If I had to put my money on it, I would say it's not going to happen, but it's it's not an investment. It's a bet. But should it happen, obviously, things are going to change. So, uh, Russia is a ma- major producer of oil. They have a lot of relationships in the Middle East with OPEC and a lot of the other like petrochemical um, producers. So they invade other countries. There's a war broken out. There's definitely going to be an influence. Pair that with the fact that not only are the Fed in the U.S. raising interest rates, but the uh, the central bank of Russia will be raising rates as well, although more dramatically to 1% raises versus 25 basis point ra- uh, raises. And that should drastically affect things, both from an inflation standpoint um, as well as gas standpoint. The the demand for gas should and oil should they increase, in theory, should go up, and the supply, especially with like trade routes and other things, should be constrained even more, should go down. So, I would imagine if and to your point, this isn't a one to one deal, but should they actually invade? Should there actually be a war? Should they raise rates? All these a lot of shoulds. Um, energy price stocks should continue to do well. Precisely. Yeah. And that's just one thing we need to make sure is like, how does this affect the actual market if anything goes down? And I appreciate kind of like putting all the things we can look out for. Um, so we're going to keep switching around because again, a very volatile market leads to a very volatile podcast. So we're going to leave geopolitics and get back to the small stuff as we think about all these other trends that are happening. And I guess one thing that our audience is concerned about with their latest rises is, oh shoot, did I miss dip season? Did I miss a bunch of dips to buy watching all the big tech stocks kind of carry the market upwards? And I think there's a lot of dips that are still happening and i think there's a lot of stuff that's really interesting and one that you keep pointing out that i keep forgetting to mention on the podcast is DraftKings. DraftKings is down about 56 percent from its all-time high it was down 75 percent a little bit earlier in the week but it keeps being weirdly volatile and so when you look at this justin like what's the deal here as we kind of think about what's happening with DraftKings right now is DraftKings, you know still kind of a buy the dip situation or is sports betting kind of not as strong as it should be now that it's becoming more and more accepted here in the united states yeah, I mean, one thing I will fully admit is like with timing, um, it's impossible. Like, you you'll never hear anyone say this, but like we definitely did get a little bit lucky in our timing there. We're not like soothsayers. Timing the market is literally impossible to do consistently. We saw DraftKings down seventy five percent from its all time high. It seemed like a no brainer for us to like add to our position. We we luckily called the bottom. Um, having said that, it could easily dip back down. So. Like we got lucky. Can it keep sliding down easily? Um, but over the long term, 
like we're betting on the fact that legalization of sports betting continues to widen and DraftKings has the partnerships and have the reach in certain regions to be able to like extend those relationships further. And so when you look at New York, you look at California, you look at Pennsylvania, you look at Florida, you look at a lot of the markets that like people are expanding into. Um, and specifically in New York and New Jersey, DraftKings has major wallet share. And the lifetime value of some of these customers relative to how much it costs to acquire them, even with the ridiculous promotions that are going on right now, are like a 10 to 1 ratio. That means that for every dollar they're extending towards buying customers, essentially, they're getting or estimating it to be 10 in return. So their investment, and it's going to hurt their company in the short term, is ultimately going to help beyond like measurable amount in the long term. So like, we absolutely love DraftKings. The fact that we timed at the bottom, like great for us, pat us on the back. It was it was definitely a little bit of luck. So I'll fully admit that. Um, but if if we like DraftKings last year, it's still down fifty percent. There's no reason not to continue liking it now. I mean, even if it goes down, it goes up. Who cares? Like this is a multi-year bet. Whether you get a hundred percent of the upside or ninety percent or eighty percent, you're still getting the upside. Timing it on the bottom and then timing it on the top is impossible. No one can do it. I don't care what anyone says. It, it's it's proven to be impossible. So it, as long as you believe in that thesis over the long term, you want to put some in now, you want to put some in systematically, like and like say you're doing a thousand dollars, say a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars every month for the next six to twelve months, like that that's a great way to to dollar cost average yourself in. It's this is a bet in the long term. So buying the dip is great. Um if you don't have a position, it, the more you wait, in theory, it could keep going up. You're just gonna you're gonna hurt yourself even if it goes the other way. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just, uh, you know, when you're when you talk to investors, like a lot of times it's all it's about when you time those bottoms, it is all about luck. So one of the major reasons you follow Moby.co is we tend to be a little bit luckier than most other analysts. That's more of a joke response. Um, but let's get into I'm I am amazed we are being as efficient as we're being. We are really just cranking out the points here. I didn't think we'd have time for this today, but we do. Uh, speaking of calling bottoms, Justin, crypto. Uh, obviously, you know, crypto had just as much of a terrible drop as the Nasdaq did. Um, we're seeing some volatility slash recovery uh bitcoin's hovering more around what like the 37 38k mark right yeah it's uh 37 got back up to 40 for a hot second just no just shy of 40 i should say um and now hovering yep. at 37 ethereum's a uh, whole mess so when you look at this like are we in crypto winter right now is this a full-on crypto bear market or is is the whole thing bitcoin just following the nasdaq at this point yeah, I mean, it just looks to be following the marketplace. Um, if stocks pop tomorrow and it's a prolonged pop in the in a positive direction, then I, I would be very surprised if Bitcoin and the rest of the crypto market didn't follow suit. It's a risky it's a risky asset, so likely that's what would happen. It's obviously not guaranteed, but in the short term, I don't think we're in a position of like we're saying we're in a crypto winter. This isn't 2017, 2018. Like the market is, it's still very young but it's not as premature as it was like the market has definitely matured a lot you have real institutional capital in it's not led by retail investors you have actual projects that are like millions if not billions of dollars of like are being thrown at them so we're in a completely different place from that perspective having said that there's not that many consumer applications right now of people using like crypto at a wide scale to ultimately like warrant you know these crazy valuations so, I mean, it's a long-winded way of saying, I don't think we're in a crypto winter. We're in a completely different place now. I don't think we're going to see a two-year bear market. Obviously, obviously it's possible. Um, but right now, we really, 
we really need to be aware um, of what's going on. It's a different environment. And I think similar to DraftKings and how we feel about everything, if you if you love it now, this is a multi-year bet on like the world changing on how it does business, which is via like blockchain technology. So if you're getting it at 30, you're getting it at 20, you're getting it at 40, you're getting it at 50. In the long run, if it's hitting a million a coin, it's all the same thing. So trying to time it is just like a sucker's play, honestly. Exactly. And audience, one thing too, one thing that I'm really impressed with, I just finished animating this before we went live. I just finished like a data analysis chart where I kind of weighted Bitcoin and the NASDAQ together over the last five years and just kind of ran the chart to see how they're going to perform against each other. And the one thing that's really awesome to watch is just how much Bitcoin in the last three years compared to the last uh, 10 years has stabilized in terms of developing momentum in its price, i.e. price changes take a little bit longer to happen in Bitcoin now. And so you're literally watching the market mature but at the same time, as this market matures, you see these moments uh, uh, in 2019 and uh, specifically in the last six months where Bitcoin is, you can literally watch it follow the NASDAQ, which is really interesting to see. Like people are seeing, uh, people aren't using Bitcoin as an inflation hedge the way we thought they were. They're using it more as like an additional investment on top of their regular stock portfolio. And so that's something we're going to be watching moving forward. Uh, and then Justin, I guess that gets us into sort of like the rest of the crypto space. You mentioned how like none of these have any real uses. That's why we're really excited about, you know, um, web three and DeFi, right? Where like actual services are going to be built on top of these blockchains. As we look into that, as we think about that, what are some of the various like altcoin slash DeFi plays that you're watching right now? Like what are the things you're excited about as we kind of watch this market mature even more and as we determine if we're in a crypto winter or not, a lot of our audience is interested in adding to more like smaller altcoin plays just to think, well, if I'm not going to make big gains in the big players right now this year, maybe it's my time to like, uh, you know, mention some smaller stuff. Like what are, what are some of your, what are the things you're watching like on the more alternative side of things on the smaller cap side i mean outside of everything that like we always talk about on our site like avalanche polka dot a lot of these like altcoins that like we we definitely like they're still bigger to your point so for some of the smaller ones um they're all kind of like honestly trending in a similar direction which is obviously down having said that there are some some other ones helium we haven't had the chance to like fully analyze yet but it's a project we've been watching for a while um I don't think one sector like really has had a positive return in like the web three world, but helium was the closest one. Um, and it's a coin that we've liked for a while, which is like a decentralized play on telecommunications. Um, so that's, that's one we've, we've looked at and we're definitely going to try and write up maker. Dow is another one. Um, avalanche is another one. Um, these are some, I mean, avalanche is even still big, but these are some other plays that we like. And then in addition to that, Peter, the, the video you did still hasn't changed. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, the video still hasn't changed on how we feel about Olympus Dow. That's something we still definitely like. Um, there's just, they're in a tough environment from a macro perspective right now. Um, having said that, Olympus Dow is still making a lot of progress. Um, they just had a vote passed that would allow them to create um, an inverse bond that will basically just help them with their treasury backing small detail, but things that are just progress as we're tracking them. So long story short, I mean, these coins are likely going to suffer maybe like these one-off ones that are either being pumped or have like really cool updates, but those are kind of finding like diamonds in the rough right now, honestly. It's uh, it's not a good answer. I'm sure for people who are looking for, you know, the next big thing, the timing right now is just, is really tough. Like the environment of putting money in and, you know, becoming a millionaire overnight wasn't going to last forever and it may very well come back. But right now is just, it's, it's tough timing.
Exactly. And you're never trying to become a millionaire overnight. If you are like, you know, you're no one's ever going to have like, that's why you only had one example of that last year. And it was that absolute mad person who managed to turn a thousand dollars into a couple billion on the back of Shiba Inu. That's only going to happen in these ridiculous meme coin spaces that you should just be avoiding overall. Uh, uh, on an anecdotal level, I'm still pretty excited about Olympus in terms of the way that they took this punch, especially considering that uh, the biggest ohm fork time Wonderland was revealed to be basically started by a scam person, like an actual convicted felon for financial fraud, right? And watching time Wonderland completely crash and then have that news come out and kill it even further. Ohm is kind of stabilized at just above its backing per ohm, which is a whole complicated DeFi thing, which has given me the confidence to kind of double down. I just added to, uh, to the a, uh, a lot of my AVAX back into Olympus DAO just to kind of like, you know, keep going because the cool thing about these spaces is the, the ridiculous wars we saw last year with APY, these unsustainable APYs are over. Olympus is now stable at around 900 to 1000% APY year over year, which is really awesome to see. Um, so that's why I'm excited about it moving forward again. Uh, that's still pretty a lot high it's not going to last for years or anything but it's still awesome to be here early as they kind of build out this protocol either way justin we are we've managed to cram so much into this half hour go us i'm really excited we have literally one minute left any final thoughts for me before we go ahead and end this out anything else people should be watching as we kind of like live through this volatility what else is on your mind man yeah i mean for people who are listening to this whether it's the recorded version on spotify apple music or on our website or people who are listening to this live it's the same message that we've been saying every single week. So if you've been paying attention, I hope it's starting to resonate. But this volatility isn't going away anytime soon. You might be able to swing trade stuff here and there, but a lot of that is just gambling. So we need to find companies and stocks that we fundamentally believe in, in the right valuations. We publish on this three to five times a week and continue to have the same mentality. And that's how we outperform the market. Chasing these projects and chasing these stocks that are having these 50, 100% swings, you'll make money here and there, but in the long run, I would say 9.9 out of 10 investors are losing money. So just have patience. Building wealth is not an overnight thing. As much as you read the stories, CNBC is selling you fear and greed on becoming a millionaire overnight. This, this stuff takes time. You just got to find the right companies and stick with them. Exactly. And as always, that's going to be the, the, the point we have. It's going to be the best place where we, you know, feel like it's a good place to, to stop because that's the thing. The whole point of the show is to give you the confidence you need to consistently invest and to find those little places where you, you can add a little bit more juice to your portfolio, so to speak. But it's never going to be a get rich quick thing. And it's not going to be anything that's going to be absolutely massive. This compounding interest game is the easiest game in the world. You just only get one shot to play it because it takes 35 years to play properly. And so I hope that throughout these conversations, we give you that confidence to, you know, add as much as you possibly can to your positions month over month over month over month so that you, you know, have that confidence so you can build that basis of wealth, um, you know, a stronger one than you would have without us. Either way, audience, I really appreciate your time. If you like lives like this, we are doing them daily. It's just me solo over on our TikTok. We're also trying to experiment with going live with an interview format on Instagram as well. If you have more in-depth analysis, check us out at movie.co slash go. We also have more in-depth like video stuff over at youtube.com slash c slash invest. Either way, audience, we got some really cool stuff coming out next week as well. I'm really excited to take you through some other various like macro forces over on our YouTube channel. You'll be seeing that from us soon. But either way, audience, all I can say is I really appreciate your time. If you have any questions for us on the back end here, hit us up over at Discord. You can just DM me at any point. Like I want to make sure I answer questions as best as I can. Or you can email us at hello at moby.co. Regardless, audience, it's been really awesome talking with you today. I really appreciate your time. And as always, I'd like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.